EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM Well hello and welcome Strange being September and being an Apple event this week and I'm at home in the EFTM office but you know what won't lie loving it here um, it's a good place to be uh, you know it's it's good not travelling don't tell my wife but I'm, I'm not sure I'll travel as much ever again because you know you can just get more done and you can sleep longer there's some good advantages but it is very weird now the Apple event is, is tomorrow in, in terms of when I'm recording um I'm not going to do another show on EFTM here about the Apple event because I've got no doubt that Two Blokes Talking Tech will be dedicated in large part to what Apple announced. Uh, I'll be on the Today Show in the morning if you if you want to find out what's happened live. And, of course, all the details will be up at EFTM.com throughout the morning as we uh, learn what it is Apple are going to announce and we assume uh, it's not going to be an iPhone. So a fascinating morning ahead. Um, but we'll, we'll deal with that on EFTM.com and the Facebook page and the like as the days go on. A lot to talk about today. I'm gonna. I've got a couple of great chats to bring you. We're gonna talk uh, contactless payments with Samsung. They've made a tweak to the way contactless payments uh, work. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot, but I think it's a really important thing. And hopefully, we'll we'll hear from them about some of the trends and, and the way that contactless has has boomed. I think, frankly, uh, in the COVID era. And I want to talk to Scott Lawson um, from Fetch TV. Uh, you know, long term listeners might not have the date down, but I checked. Um, I spoke to Scott Lawson first on this show when it was called Your Tech Life in September 2011. Uh, so we're talking nine years and two days ago. So um, Fetch has fetches evolved. Fetch is a, a bigger platform. It's huge audience base. So I want to know what we're watching on Fetch. I want to know what's changing and what's coming. Um, and we'll talk about that with Scott Lawson, who's a really super dude. He's open about what they're doing, honest about the market. And um, yeah, I think that'll be a really fascinating chat. Plus, uh, there's a bunch of emails flowing in about tech questions, everything from uh, battery-powered lawnmowers to um, Dreamweaver. Hey? So I'm going to try and get a hold of as many of the people that have contacted me this week as I can and bring you all of those talkback calls here on EFTM. The podcast, if you uh, don't mind, it'd be great if you could go to the Apple App Store, Apple iTunes Store, or Podcast Store, whatever the heck you call it these days, and leave a rating, leave a review. Very nice thing to do. So it helps not just me feel good about myself, uh, but it helps other people discover um, what it is we are doing here at EFTM, and um, that's greatly appreciated. Um, and if there's other podcast platforms that allow you to click a button or a like or whatever, just do it. Um, and while you're there, uh, jump onto YouTube, youtube.com forward slash EFTM online. That's where we publish all the videos. Hit subscribe so that you get the notifications and all that stuff. Hit the bell. See, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos with the kids. Now, you've got to hit subscribe and hit the bell. Uh, and we're on Facebook. Just search EFTM. We are everywhere you want to be. Um, just trying very hard to publish on all those platforms. Very lot to keep up with, though. Uh, thanks for downloading. Let's get cracking uh, with the EFTM podcast. Trevor Long, Talking Technology, any questions you've got uh, going on in your world, happy to happy to help if you go to the website eftm.com and click Ask Trev. I'll try and get you on the, on the show. G'day, Blake. Hey, Trev. Um, my father and I were discussing the concept of, I guess, battery-powered elect- um, lawnmowers. And uh, I remember on the podcast previously you mentioned you had one. And yep. I guess we're just looking at what brand have you used and I guess what are the specs that are important with these type of technology 
I don't want to. Wanna, I don't want to pretend to be an expert because I'm certainly not. Um, I'm about as much of an expert on electric mowers as I am on petrol mowers. But I can tell you what I've done. <clears throat> so I tried uh, a bunch of Ryobi uh, products. Uh, um, I think it was a blower, like we had a chainsaw and a mower, and the uh, Ryobi product was amazing. Like I think if you dig up my um, my review. Um, I was blown away because I, so I I've got a, like an 18-inch Husqvarna petrol, you know, do the thing. And my, my lawns take two hours to mow. I've got like four patches at the front, the back, and the side and different different bits. It's not a, not a small lawn. So, you know, I'm, I'm at it. And I, th- I thought I needed a big, bulky, bloody, you know, petrol mower. So I mm. gave this Ryobi a try. And I think the, the number one thing I'll tell you about mowers that I've noticed is, you know, the voltage of the battery feels like it's really important based on not just power, but obviously the life of the battery, okay? Um, mm. The volt versus the, the capacity of the battery are two separate things. So I couldn't tell you the exact model that I had, but I'm telling you it was probably, at, looking at the Ryobi website, I feel like it was their kind of $300 mower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very narrow little thing, but Jesus, mate, this thing would rip up um, twigs and sticks and, and almost branches, really. Like it would it would chop them no dramas i'm not cleaning up the yard before i mow right i just go out and mow <clears throat> so i was very very happy with the ryobi except mm-hmm. for the fact that it felt very plasticky to me okay right like literally i don't i just didn't feel like it was going to last forever but it was you know it's a 279 300 product so is that a big deal then a mm. bloke from a company called ego as in i've got a big ego uh, ego <laughs> powerplus.com.au is their website he said mate Please, listen, I've seen your review of the Ryobi. Step aside, try this. And I've not stopped using the Ego since he sent it to me maybe 18 months ago. So the difference I'll tell you is definitely construction. It feels a lot more solid. It's still not a metal mower or anything. It's still plastic, but it's a much more harder, durable plastic. Mm. Um, They have a 56-volt battery. Um, and I think there's a 2.5 amp hour battery. There's definitely two different size batteries because I've now got the Ego Mower, I've got the Ego Trimmer, and the Ego Blower Vac. <clears throat> and each of them, I've got a battery for each, but the batteries are all interchangeable. Yeah, that's easy. Man, I, I keep all three batteries charged, and what I do on a Sunday or Saturday, I walk outside with all three batteries, I, I sit them on a table out the back, then I get the, the whipper snipper out, I put the battery in it and then I, I do my whippersnippering and then I, I leave that battery for the blower because when you start mowing, you want to start with a full big-ass battery. So I get the biggest battery and I whack it in the mower. I don't use the self-propulsion part of the mower much, only when you're mm-hmm. really struggling to get through. But far out, man, I only do it on mulch. I don't I don't bag and, and, and bin. Honestly, I, I just can't believe anyone would think that they don't do as good, if not a better job, genuinely. Yeah. Ego, yeah, well, it's good. ego though aren't at Bunnings and stuff, so I don't know how hard they are to find. But they're at those kind of specialty retailer style places. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> so yeah, it's all about you know it does a good job, mate. I've got no doubt. That's great, but it's good also you explaining that voltage and and that's the key thing to look out for. Um, it just felt so, like that's a power thing, you know. You you really yep, yep. like the whipper snipper, man. It's like it's as good as a petrol and the blower. Oh, is is outrageous! Like it's it's excellent because on turbo mode that thing's blowing the bloody <laughs> skin off a cat. It's crazy good, and their their batteries uh, in everything I've read they're 
their battery technology is excellent, which gives you a pretty long run time. So I get a good 40-minute mow out of the big battery, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. not using the you know self-propulsion stuff. And yeah, I need to I need to rely on two batteries to do the front yard, and and if I wanted to do it all in one day, the, the all the lawns, all the whippersnippering, all the blowing, I would need to recharge one of the batteries in that period. But because I've got a battery for each, I can get through the day easily. But if you want to yep. go economically, you just buy the big ass battery and maybe one small one, and then you can interchange and and buy the chart the yep. fast charger and stuff. So it's an investment up front, no doubt, no doubt, hmm. because the ego ones are. Hell, mate, they're not cheap. Um, <laughs> I'm trying. It won't. It won't give me a bloody price here on the website. But I know for a fact that they're not. They're not cheap. But I think, mate, I, I, I think your dad would be like, "Holy crap! Where's this been all my life?" <laughs> yeah. Yes. How, how much? Yeah. How much yard you got? Oh, I guess combined, where I was trying to work that out, like a hundred square meters. I feel is sort of bit of the front, bit of the back. Um, but when he does my grandparents, it's like three hundred square meters. It's like oh, a right. double block. So. I think even just for home, you know, the 100, uh, the electric would be fine. And then if he really has to go all out for the grandparents, they can have their own that he uses when he goes to visit. Yeah. Or, or just have spare batteries or, there. Correct. Um, correct. As we build the, those batteries up just, and buy more there's every There's no year. doubt, especially someone who's skeptical, and I'm not calling the old man a skeptical man, but <laughs> I just feel like people, there's a, you definitely be able to find, it's like electric cars. You mentioned electric car to someone, they're going to say, oh, yeah, but where are you going to charge it and how are you going to drive to Brisbane and all that? Like, there's no doubt that it used to be easy just to have a tub of petrol in the shed that when she ran out, you just filled it up and she only ran out once every two months, right? So Mm. it's a different mentality. You've got to approach – you've got to decide the night before because you've got to make sure you actually plugged all your batteries in. Sometimes you you forget. So you've got to make Mm. sure that they're all charged properly. Um, It's just a different routine. But I I like the idea of kind of breaking it up. So I now do it so I mow, whippersnip, and then if the big battery in the mower needed charging, by the time I've whippersnippered, maybe had lunch, then I'm ready to go again on the the other side. So – yeah, mm. it's just a it's just a mentality change, but genuinely, yeah. hey, good for the environment is probably that's the only problem, Blake. Like, what is the advantage? It it cuts. It doesn't cut better. It might. I don't know. It, it certainly feels good, but I don't think it you know looks better. So it's really just an environmental thing. Also, noise, not as noisy. Mm. That's handy. Hey, just on a different one. Thanks for the EFTM F1 podcast. Loving it um, as I drive to work every Monday. Oh, you're um, the one. Hey, <laughs> am I the one? You know, one, yeah. Well, um, more people need to get on it. It's, well, uh, thanks, it's mate. A great. It's great to uh, yeah drive to work and, and hear about it. And but but, it, but do you? The- but have you watched the race though? Like, because that's my only. F- I've been thinking about it, and it's all well and good that we record straight after the race, which is, was always the intention. But if you're listening on the way to work, are we spoiling it all, or does it make you want to watch the highlights? Like, how does it affect your viewing? I guess my I get up in the morning and watch the YouTube highlights. Yep. Um, which at least I know then what you're talking about. Um, yeah, right. And then I usually get to the mini because the time I'm up, the mini's not ready. Because the YouTube um, highlights, I, to be honest, I only just looked this week, the YouTube highlights were like seven minutes this week. And it's like, shit, that did cover nearly everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did. And and as you said, some races are a bit boring. So at least you know after the YouTube and, and listening to the podcast, do I sit down that night and rewatch it? Yeah. Um, or do you, do you just sort of go, well, that's this week. When's the next race? <laughs> Good man. Oh, that's really good feedback. I appreciate it. Make sure you tell your mates and uh, yeah, good on you, mate. All right. Enjoy yeah. your, uh, your electric mowing. 
<laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. Good on you. And if you've got a question like Blake, just go to the website, EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Travel along with you, and uh, we are all spending so much time in front of the TV, and I reckon that's a good thing um, because there's some really cool stuff to watch. Uh, there's more entertainment at our fingertips than ever before. And here's the funny thing. I've never felt so old as to when I thought, hmm, when was the last, when was the first time I spoke to my next guest? And um, I did a bit of a search because I've still got every email I've ever sent and received. And it was um, nine years and two days ago, (laughs) nine years and two days ago, I spoke to the boss of Fetch TV, Scott Lawson, and he's on the line again for the many, many times in between uh, right now. G'day, Scott. G'day, Trevor. Wow, you just aged us both. It's oh, like, it was tough. have I been doing this too long or, or, are we, or are we all just getting better at it? I don't know. But it, 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 the reason I did that was I thought, how long has Fetch been around? You know, uh, like it, you kind of lose track of these things. And, you know, 10 years it's been uh, and the brand, uh, the product, um, everything about what you do has evolved so greatly over that time. Because funny thing about what, when I remember back to the very early days of Fetch, I remember you explaining to me it was um, I think IONet was the was the uh, ISP partner. It was very much a, a multicast thing. You were delivering um, streamed IPTV content in this amazing way because the internet infrastructure we had back then was vastly different to what we have today. So it certainly was. Yeah. Everything's evolved, really, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's interesting. I mean, when we look back, the, the business has been going for 11 years. I think we've been out of product and market for about eight of those. Yep. But the the core principles, the the religion on which the, the business was founded, those things have held up very well. It's about you know aggregating your content services, rich user experience, et cetera. But the world around us has changed so much. You know, Back then, we weren't able to talk about Netflix or we weren't talking about the NBN and faster speeds. So, <laughs> lots of lots have stayed the same, but certainly, certainly the the market's changed, the delivery's changed, and the content options have exploded mm. um, and, in that time. And I think the that you would know better than anyone um, about the the way the trends of users. I mean, it's funny how um, the media um, commentators, uh, uh, media observers, and I mean, you know, people in TV, kind of looking at how TV's evolving. They like to make predictions in things, but you, you see it in real time because you've got hundreds and thousands of boxes active at any one time, and you can tell whether people are doing more streaming than they were this time last week, let alone last year. Um, you know, what people are physically doing with their boxes is evolving, isn't it? It certainly is, and, and you're right. We, we have about 700,000 households that use Fetch as their principal entertainment device. So that gives us a really and, – and, and, and as you know, Trevor, we, we – Offer you know you not only have access to your free to air and recordings and linear and your your key apps and your stores etc. So it's it's the entire landscape that we're able to see. I'll I'll just share with you a couple interesting things that we're mm. seeing through the COVID period. So viewing initially is about mid March is when the lockdowns went into effect. Um, we saw a viewing spike per household about an hour per day. Mm. Now as things have opened up outside of Victoria. Um, we've seen about a 30 minutes of that stick. Um, so it's not at the, at the spike that it was at previously. But over that period, you know, in, in April, May, we were seeing tons of movie consumption. Obviously, there aren't as many new movies out to yeah. rent. The SVOD spiked. But probably the interesting trend, and they get, you know, the free air industry gets bashed in the media a little bit. But, um, you know, um, of that hour, 
and even that 30 minutes that stuck, um, about two thirds of that is free to air viewing. So obviously news is, has risen to the forefront, yeah. but also the reality shows have done well, et cetera. Now people might be time shifting that. So when I say free to air, that sure. includes. It, it doesn't matter how, you, how you're viewing it. Free to air is content that 7, 9, 10, ABC, SBS are producing and, and broadcasting and making available through catch up apps and, and recordings. But that's also an interesting, and you talk about the way, I guess, the media reports upon our viewing habits. It feels like everyone's got Netflix. It feels like <laughs> everyone's got Stan. But in reality, and it's millions of homes that have got Netflix, but it's still not everyone. Um, there's still a huge rush to, to breakfast TV, to nighttime news, to primetime shows. And obviously the TV companies are manipulating what they do now because it, reality is a, is, a, is a big part of it. But that's – is that – in your view, that's why Fetch is so strong, right? Because at its core is not just all of those new things, but it's that that old school. You know, I, I still describe it to people you, as got you remember the old VHS recorder. Well, that's your Fetch box, right? You can hit record, and it does it intelligently. Yeah, you, you, uh, look, it's it's interesting. So, you know, we we want to be the Westfield Shopping Center or the supermarket, and mm. people will go into those those buildings, and and some will you know, buy more of this or less of that, et cetera. So we try to be agnostic about what people are consuming yeah. and just make it easy. So absolutely, we have Netflix and Stan and Prime Video and YouTube and All Access, and, and those things do very well. But in tot total, they only make up about 20 to 25% of total viewing. Yeah. So what, and, and, and you know, it's important, they're high utility, they, you know, they have great shows. But to be a master aggregator, which is what Fetch aims to be so it's all about all your entertainment and making that easy um we have to service all of the content and right now the nba playoffs are on and some people might want to watch espn mm. or the u.s elections going on and cnn and msnbc or when brexit's in the news bbc world news or knowledge you know they want to watch bbc earth or the latest movie or a pay-per-view ufc fight so what we try to do is to just service the entire market provide that one stop shop for all of the entertainment but you're absolutely right the the new apps and new content dominate the headlines and they are you know no question they're where the growth is for but they sure. still only represent about a quarter of total viewing. And is, and it, is it still something that you're most proud of? And I, I, many times you've you've sat with me in your office and showed me things like the quality of the stream, how quickly the stream picks up when you change channels. Because IPTV, as in getting t live TV channel via the internet, as opposed to the way people might see it as being the antenna, the cable, the satellite, um, is a challenge, right? Because people expect a channel-changing experience to be, I'm going up, 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 and it should play. So yeah. it's it's not it's not that easy, is it? You've put a lot of work into that that portion of the system. <laughs> Absolutely. The, I was just laughing. It reminded me you know, we were dating ourselves earlier. Yeah. But you know, people used to wait in line at the at the bank to make a deposit or get some money out. And now, if there's one person in front of you at the ATM, <laughs> you're you're frustrated. Well, and now, now, now if you're at a restaurant and and you're splitting the bill and the money doesn't come straight into your account from a transfer, exactly. you're like, well, what are you doing? So this instant gratification thing is critical to your user experience. Yeah. So look, speed, lack of latency, making everything smooth and transition, everything should feel like a a channel change is really important. But you know, increasingly, that's you know, I wouldn't say it's hygiene, but it's something that a few companies, including ourselves, have really cracked. Mm. So the question then is, you know, everything we do, we want to add more value 
then you're going to get on your connected TV or you're going to get through a, you know, Chromecast or whatever other device. So right now with all these apps on there, one of the couple of areas of focus for us, one is obviously universal search. So if you take a show like Handmaid's Tale or Top Gear or mm-hmm. whatever, it might be on SBS On Demand. It might be on SBS. It might be in our store. It might be on one of the SVOD services, etc. So providing true integrated search so that when you search for a show, you'll see everywhere that show is and which seasons and you can you know you can go for the one that's in HD or without commercials or you can and I think cater. people people lose track of that I did the and we'll talk about the the new look in a minute but I, I when I was testing the the update um, Top Gear is a good example it there was eight different ways <laughs> to watch Top Gear different seasons so so season 19 is on Discovery Turbo that's just one season season yep. 23 is on nine now but seasons 20 to 22 are on stand so You've got a good memory you know yeah, like, look, wow. It, 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 and, and the role for an aggregator like us is to take all of that complexity and just make it simple yeah. because the person knows what they want to watch. We just have to help them understand where to get it and how to get it quickly, right? And also free to you, things that you don't have to pay for yeah. or high, higher resolution or fewer ads or whatever it is. We want to be able to present those options. I'll give you another example. Um, I, I think the free to air catch-up apps or BVOD apps, as they call them, are fantastic. Yeah. But you, you might be watching five or six different catch-up shows, but you can't remember where they are. Mm. So using another example, rather like the Universal Search one is, we have an area called My Catch-Up, where we just watch, we just give you a one-stop jump-off to all of the catch-up shows that you're watching, regardless of where you're watching them. And we tell you when there's a new episode there. So, so if you if you watched, uh, let's say, on last Thursday, you watched Plate of Origin on Seven's catch-up, you watched two episodes of that, then you went over and watched The Masked Singer on Ten's catch-up, and then you watched some of The Block. Um, if you Once you've done those one episode, let alone a couple of episodes of, of any show, once you've done that, you click on My Stuff and then My Catch-up, and it just shows you those shows that you were currently within. App. Like, you don't have to go back uh, to the app. Uh, it just takes you straight to those shows correct. in those apps. You- you can launch from there, and it will also show you whether there's a new episode available. And I'll just give you one thing that we're working on for, which will launch early next year, Please. is um, continue watching. So universal search is great, but we just use the example of continue watching for catch up. But wouldn't it be great if that worked across Stan and Prime Video yeah. and the store and the free to air, etc.? So. Y- you lose track of where you're watching things, yeah. but having quick jump-off points, uh, not just to a catch-up um, apps, but to everything, would be wonderful. And there's a lot of last watched and you know um, these sorts of things yeah. that you know the role of the master aggregator is just to make what is a lean back experience. You know, simple and easy. Should be no, comfortable. I'm leaning back. It should be comfy and easy. <laughs> exactly. So, so t- exactly. two things before I let you go. Firstly, the user interface update. It it, it is actually kind of subtle, but it's but it's critical in some of the changes you've made to make the the, the TV guide a, a little bit more user friendly for for browsing content you might not have ex- discovered before. Changing channels. It's just a slightly different experience, but it's little things like knowing when you tune into Discovery and Railroad Australia's on. You know that actually the little arrow. Is all the way to the end. I may as well go back and start this episode over because I'm coming in late. Simple things, isn't it? Yeah, it is the simple things. And one thing we're really proud of at Fetch is it's a dynamic product. You know, you buy uh, or you get from your telco, depending which way you go, uh, Fetch box. And three or four times a year, we're doing releases where we're upgrading the look and feel, we're upgrading the functionality, we're adding new content. 
et cetera. And we do an enormous amount of research. We've got some very talented people at Fetch. And then we scour the globe to see who's doing what. You know, they say uh, plagiarism is when you steal from one and research is <laughs> when you steal from many. We do a, quite a bit of research as well. And what we're looking for is just ways to make the, the viewing experience better. And sometimes that's accessibility. People say, I have difficulty reading. My eyes aren't great, etc. Yeah. Sometimes I'll give you an example in the new release is the people love the Rotten Tomatoes ratings. If you're going to go and watch a movie to see what the critics and the yeah. audience think. But some services that can take you seven clicks or five clicks to find out. So literally, if you go to a movie on Fetch and you just hover over the tile for a second, the Rotten Tomatoes ratings will appear and then disappear. <laughs> so it's, you know, we, we use that expression a lot, clicks to content, which is just, let's just make it simple to get there. The release you're talking about that just went out is is the first of several that are coming. So we don't like to do Big Bang where, you know, people feel like there's been a fundamental change to the service. So we tend to do more... Um, evolutionary uh you know um incremental changes but there's a lot of key principles that we've introduced and in just making it easy to see easy to use fit, feature rich but not complex you know the simplicity of the yeah. screen is really important and so yeah it's all about usability and the good news is <laughs> there's one thing that people are very vocal about <laughs> is, is their tv viewing and so it, it doesn't take us much to get a lot of rich feedback. Okay. <laughs> That's a very good <laughs> way of describing it. And I think one of the other bits of feedback is what I'll leave you on, and, and I think it's the most important thing you're always going to get asked is, what's next? Because obviously your biggest challenge is actually keeping up with the market. Um, you know, uh, notable ab- absences are Disney Plus, for example, uh, personally, and I know maybe it's it's never going to happen because of the dynamics of the politics of the industry, but, you know, KO would be just sensational. What what next in terms of what, what value you add for customers? Yeah, look, so first of all, on the apps, um, absolutely, we've been a longtime partner of, of Disney, and they, they've been focused on some of the international, given the, the speed of their international rollout. But we're very optimistic that we'll have Disney Plus on the service next year. We just need to work with them on the, their prioritization queue, et cetera. And as you know, we've done a really good job of bringing things on yeah, absolutely. quickly. Um, look, you know, I think there'll come a day where, where Foxtel um, no longer sees us as a competitor, but sees us as distribution as they evolve into being 700,000 homes, right? I mean, that's some Correct. seriously instant pickup. If they've got 400-odd thousand KO subscribers, which is a great result for them in, in I think, the first year, uh, I just can't imagine how much more successful it would be if every fetch box had the option. Just that's all, just the option. So. Yeah, and we've got some great case studies there. We we recently launched Amazon Prime, and okay, from a yeah. zero start, we we've got a you know a number uh, you know north of six figures already in terms of take up. So I, I think we've proven ourselves as distribution for the content providers, right. and most of them treat us very well in terms of as a beta site we do a lot of development with them even the international guys so i'll come back and talk to apps in a second but some of the things we're doing very focused on voice we'll be introducing voice uh shortly so the ability to just say fetch uh jason Bourne or fetch uh espn or whatever so that that's going to be something uh 4k and hdr a lot of people are really interested we've done that with netflix and stan and prime video but we'll start to do that in our movie and tv store Mm Um, I think I mentioned earlier evolving universal search to be more about continue watching, last watched, et cetera. Um, easier ways to access content, probably more visual. I probably won't try to explain that on radio, but just making the presentation good. I think probably the biggest thing, we made an announcement 
um, last week about a, comp- a partnership with a company called Metrological. I won't lie. I, th- I knew it was big, <laughs> but I didn't understand what it meant. Yeah, look, it's, it is a hard, I try to be succinct, <laughs> but that one, you know, they say the elevator test, can you can you do it? And then this one's yeah. a little bit challenging, but I'll go quickly. It needs to be a long elevator ride, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it needs to be a long center point tower or something. <laughs> but uh, basically, um, what we do is we t- tend to natively integrate things like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Stan. So our team's working with them. I won't bore your listeners, but it's down at the chipset level. Often you're working and you're doing some deep integrations. But now it's not about having the top, the 20 apps that everyone wants, but there's these niche apps. It could be 300. They might like Japanese anime or yeah. a foreign language channel or Acorn uh, TV or golf TV with the PGA Tour, et cetera. So we recognize the need to be able to service what we call the long tail, all these apps. And there's a company called Metrological. It's a Dutch company um, that built a app store in the cloud. And they were recently acquired by Comcast who owns Sky in the UK yeah. or in Europe. And they've also partnered with Vodafone. They've partnered with Liberty Global and others. So effectively what's happening is uh, Metrological is becoming the default app store in the cloud for pay TV platforms like the ones I just mentioned, right. like Rich, et cetera. And we can do a single integration with the Metrological app store, a bit like people are used to with the the Apple, you know, the yep. iOS app store, the Google Play. Yep. And that will give us the ability to rapidly accelerate the number of apps on offer and to do so easily. So, you know, whether it's something as simple as a screensaver or we're talking in the future about Spotify and Mm. Vivio and Vivo. But also, as you said, that niche market is huge. I remember you always always had uh, um, Loat channels, you know, Mandarin, just had a bunch of different channels because you knew there was market for them. Well, you know, mate, I've got... I've got a Samsung TV at the office purely because it's got the MLB app on it. I just love yep. baseball. Uh, so NBA know. League Pass, NFL Game Pass, Major League Baseball. You know, there's people that love all of these things, mm. and you've got to be able to service them, which yeah. is what we're focused on doing. So, you know, they've got a, a little ways to go in terms of getting all the apps live, but given the companies that – and the, the description I have, it's a bit like Qantas joining one world. Qantas does a great job locally, and they're international, but there's some places they don't go. Yeah. And they've joined the One World Alliance, and you can book and use your frequent flyer miles, etc. Like so it. for us, the Metrological App Store will be a bit like one the One World Alliance is for Qantas, where we're able to extend to our users the benefits of all the, of the long tail, without having to go out and commercially and technically deal with each of them individually. I think the most important thing I'd say to you is that over the many years we've been talking and over the many years of the evolution of the product, it it has stayed genuinely true to its core, um, which is about entertainment and 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 an easy navigation towards everything you want to find. And I think that's a credit to you as the leader, but also to all the people in the team who, and the team's grown over the years, who are building the product. Um, It's it's a nice little update, as I I would describe the 2020, but I think it's a nice way to remind people that there's this product in the market that can do pretty much everything you want to do. And as Scott mentioned earlier, with the percentages of things that we're doing, the core things that we're doing, it does better than anything else in the market. So um, it, it's still a, a fantastic product, which I love using, and um, it's a credit to you and the team, Scott. Hey, thank you, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the team because we're all locally based, all Australian, um, and we, we do have a very talented team, and I'm very proud of the work they do. So thank you. Thanks for your chat. Okay, mate. Cheers. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. 
Happy to help if you've got a tech question or a car question or, heck, I don't care. If you want to talk about anything, just go to EFTM.com, click on Ask Trev. G'day, Greg. G'day, Trev. How are we? Good, mate. You're out in Moree. Sure am. What's, uh, what's life like out in Moree at the moment? Same, same? Uh, very much so. No, we're coming out of the drought pretty well and it's getting pretty busy out here, which is lovely. It is getting busy, is it? So what, you're yes. seeing t- uh, tourists? Uh, what, what's, what do you mean by busy? Oh, the farmers are absolutely going, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, the farmers are getting really well now. I can tell where, where you were going with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and crops are in and everything's looking green, so it's oh, that's yeah, awesome. a nice change. And what do you do? Um, I'm on the council. Oh, okay. Well, we won't, hard, hard we won't pass any judgment on council workers, but, you know, council uh, on the council or a council worker, two very different things. Greg, what can I do for you, mate? Um, looking at getting a family car. We've recently, yep. oh, my, my son turns one next month. Um, my partner's got a little uh, Holden Barina and I've got myself a Triton U and just, yeah, looking for a, a family vehicle now. And isn't and, it um, funny how you also at this point, and I remember very vividly having uh, youngest of young kids and thinking, right, this next car, it's got to be safe. It's got to be. It's got to be comfortable. It's a different. It's a whole different world. To you know, my wife had a Barina before we had kids as well. So, it's a very different thing. What are you considering? Well, the way you, you and um, Steve talk about electric cars, and it yeah. seems to be the future. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, more here. I don't think there's any fast charging stations, or in Kiwi of here. Yeah. Um, so while looking, what's the most you drive? Like where where, where are you driving well, on a regular basis? Where are you driving? Regular, well, pre-COVID, um, there'd be a trip to Brisbane, uh, maybe every few months. Yep. Um, family in Dubbo, so that's five hours down there. So that's probably our, our vast extent. But day to day, it's literally three minutes around town, and that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously, this car though is not going to be the, just the around town car. It's going to be the road trip car as well. Most definitely. Which is a pain because uh, my, my initial comment to you is for around town, um, it's totally fine. Like an EV would be totally fine because you charge it at home. You plug it in when you get home. That's what you do. It's, uh, it's easy as pie. It just trickle charges every night. You don't even need to install a special thing. It, mate, it just works. There's no drama at all. Um, but it's a different story when you're talking about those uh, road trips. Now, Maury, I can tell you right now, and this is just, just for consideration. Um, I'm looking at the, the NRMA map, which I think is a, is a good kind of indication of where things are at, right? Dubbo, there's a fast charger. Uh, Orange, fast charger. Uh, where's this? Coonabarabran. They've got a charger at the NRMA. That's closer to home? Yeah, I'm just looking here as we scroll up. Uh, Gunnada. Where the hell's Maury on the map? I'm completely lost now. Keep right. going northwest from Gunnada. Northwest. Above Narrabri. Walgut? Too far west. Too far west. It's, like it's not even showing up on the map, mate. What's happened to Maury? It's outrageous. There we go. Well, I thought we were important. Well, not according to the uh, Weewa, Walgut. No, fair income can't see. But bottom line, there's no fast charger there. But the trip to the trip to Dubbo, um, five hours, did you say it was to Dubbo? About that, yeah. I wouldn't even risk it. <laughs> Not, not a chance. And, you know, no. I think we're a way off because you're going to have to go um, – would you go via Tamworth to Glen Innes to, um, to Brisbane? How would you get to Brisbane? Uh, so Brisbane through Toowoomba. Um, so so you gun to Windy, Toowoomba, um, uh, then down, yeah. the, down the range there. Yeah. Okay. Found more by the way. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. So it feels like the, the NRMA network is, is taking in the New England first. So, you know, going across – to uh, to Tamworth, so Gunnedah, Tamworth, Armidale, Glen Innes, um, that trip is yep. happening. So, 
let's just, you're right, you're spot on. It's your next car, right? It's your five-year or, or six-year away car. So if you replace the, you're going to replace the Barina or the Triton? Probably both. Right now? Uh, I, I, I might get a motorbike. Ah, interesting thought. Right here, good call. So right now, you're, you're replacing this, you're getting a family car, EV off, off the rails. But there's a bunch of other options that are still extremely efficient, right? That, that would be your next consideration. Mm-hmm. Mate, oh, honestly, Toyota hybrids are unbelievable in terms of fuel efficiency. But the other thing you think about, and I think you mentioned this in, in your email to me, is plug-in hybrids. So the difference, yes. the difference here is, right, a hybrid and a plug-in hybrid are exactly the same concept. There's a petrol engine, there's a battery, and the battery runs the car at really low speed or just kind of around town, you know, 40Ks, 50Ks. The petrol motor kicks in when you, when you pump the throttle to accelerate or overtake people or when you're on those country drives. And you get the range of the petrol engine with the petrol tank, but you get the efficiency of the, the, the low speed runs being almost zero cost because they're electric. Now, the benefit of a plug-in hybrid is that when you, when you had that you know, cruise home from the council, um, the car regenerates some power in a hybrid to the battery via the petrol motor. In a plug-in hybrid, you don't have to have that regeneration occurring. You can just use up the battery and when you get home, you plug it in. So you've essentially got a low-range electric vehicle because a plug-in hybrid is classed as an EV by the EV nerds because you plug it in to charge it. So, mate, a plug-in hybrid is probably the perfect thing for you right now. The question is which one do you get and how much are you willing to spend because there are a few on the market but not as many as one would like. But, I mean, it all depends how much you, you want to spend, mate. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I, my, my main consideration was probably the maintenance too, it, r- just running it. Yeah, did, uh, I know doing the short trips, it's a 30-second drive. Let me put it to you this way. I don't think you're, the consideration for maintenance costs on an, on an electric vehicle, fully electric vehicle, is unbelievable how much less it's going to cost to maintain because there's less running gear. But uh, So let's take, for example, the Mitsubishi Outlander, which I reckon would be probably centre spot the best family plug-in electric hybrid vehicle right because it's a little you know suv um you know it's got all the all the ins and outs it's still going to have the same brakes and engine maintenance required because it's got an engine yeah so Mm -hmm. you're not actually getting the benefits of you know low maintenance costs low running costs yes because your fuel efficiency at low speed is ridiculously good so the trip into town and back the trip to the shops and back are basically free because they're electric and you're just plugging yes. in at night to charge those. So, yeah, my, my gut feeling is a plug-in hybrid is actually the best option for people that, that can't live electric because of distance, which is which is 100% you for now. And, you know, the Mitsubishi Outlander would be a great solution. There's a Volvo, which is awesome. Um, there's Hyundai's Ionic, great car. There's a plug-in hybrid version of that. So there is a lot of options, um, and don't yeah, worry wow. about the fact that there's no charges out there because, remember, when the battery's flat, you're just running on petrol. So when you drive to Brisbane, great, the first 20Ks are electric, but the rest is petrol. It's just like a petrol car. No, that sounds you, wonderful, Steve. When, but when, you're in, when you get to Brisbane, you, run, you can run potter around on electric terms. So you have the best of both worlds in some ways. All right, champion, good luck with your next purchase, my man. Perfect. Cheers, Trev. All right. Have a good one. And yeah. uh, and, and hopefully um, life continues to do well for you out there at Moree, mate. Well, fingers crossed. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. And if you had a question, just like Greg did, uh, about anything going on, whether it's tech, cars or lifestyle, just get in touch. Go to the website, eftm.com. 
Trevor along with you, helping you with your tech woes or whatever's going on with cars or lifestyle in your life. Uh, just go to EFTM.com to get in touch. Just click Ask Trev, as Peter did. G'day, Pete. Uh, hi, Trev. How are you going? Good, buddy. What can I do for you? Uh, Trev, we have a Dreamweaver uh, disc, which we bought uh, when we were over in the States way back uh, many years ago now. And... Um, when we tried to log in to update our website, we use it for a small website, and uh, now we can't log in. So it appears that Adobe want us to go onto some sort of uh, pay-as-you-go scheme, despite us paying four hundred US dollars several years ago. Yeah, Does that sound a bit strange? Look, um, yes, it sounds annoying for you, but unfortunately, it's kind of just the way of the world today. Um, I remember having the Adobe Creative Suite. It was like $3,000 for Photoshop and Premiere and all the things and whatnot. And as a kid, I'm not going to lie, as a kid it was all, you know, trying to find a version that you could just run without paying for it and stuff. But these days, mate, I spend, I'm going to say probably $140 a month on the Creative Suite. I have enough, I have two accounts so that my wife and kids can use it. I can use it and not have to worry about which computers it on. And, I guess over the course of 10 years, I'm paying way more than the actual product would be outright. The difference is that every single month, every single six months, every single year, I've got the latest version as opposed to the one from six years ago, which is what you've mm-hmm. got, right? You've got Dreamweaver CS6 from 2014. Yeah. That's a that's a six-year-old product. That The problem, I guess, is we've got two issues here. One, is Adobe now stopping you using the product? Um, Can you physically use it or or is it just coming up with login prompts? Well, see, that was the original issue. We just couldn't log in and we thought that's strange because you don't normally need a login key. The little icon's always there and you've just for the past, since 2014, been able to log in straight away. But now it's asking for login details, etc. And the only way we could do it because we needed to make changes to the website was to literally seek like what they call a a temporary 30-day trial but mm. when that ends, it would appear we've got a monthly fee to pay uh, despite having the original disc. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on the frustration of owning a product and then having it stop working because of a change in business model at the other end. Um, I'm trying to think whether – I definitely have had some contact from Adobe in recent months, so let me see whether I can essentially ask the question on your behalf of – the company here in Australia to see whether they can tell me anything about this. And that may involve passing over your details, which I'm sure you won't mind. Um, No, that's fine. The other thing, if I can point out, which is very frustrating with Adobe, you cannot speak to anybody full stop. You get on these uh, online chat things, which you know you're talking to a computer, first of all. Then you end up talking to a person. But, um, you know, and, and I thought, well, I'll get around that by calling the Adobe line. And the minute you talk about Dreamweaver... Um, you know, it says, no, you'll need to go online and it hangs you up. Yeah, right. And I, I look, I hear your frustration. It's it's uh, unfortunately the way of the world, right? You know, our kids will never yeah. know this frustration because they won't expect to speak to people. They'll just exactly. expect that the online contact works. Um, mm. I guess without prejudging their response. Now, so I advocate that you should be able to still use the product that you had. Um, I agree with that. But yeah. I do, I do say for your. My concern for you is you're operating a website, and I'm assuming that's for a business. Um, you're you're putting that business at risk by running such old software because 
it's six years old. There's no way they're going to support it anymore in terms of technical challenges, right? Mm. That's different to this uh, login challenge we're talking about, so I'll, I'll represent on that behalf. But on a technical nature, if anything changes in the way your web server works, in the way the web works, they can't. this software will no longer work for you, and it could render your website literally um, unaccessible to you and, and, you know, therefore static to the, to the end user. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I look at the $30 a month as a simply an OPEX cost, right? You know, $3.99 was a CapEx cost. You pay it up front, you'd write it off, depreciate it, all those things. Your accountant will probably agree and tell you that the $30 a month is now an OPEX cost, um, a cost of doing business, essentially. Is the website worth that $30 a month to you? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a challenge, right? But... Well, you can't you can't operate without one. Spot on. Um, the, the only other thing I'd say to you, and this is completely uh, off the off the t- uh, the the train of thought, but mate, Dreamweaver. So what Dreamweaver is is a way of of changing and editing a static website. So I'm assuming your website is rather static. You don't change it often, or, or what Correct. sort of business are you running? Yeah, uh, it's a small audio company, and. Um no, we don't make that many changes. So, um, you, you, you know, it's also being a small business. You, you don't want something that's going to cost you hundreds or yeah. thousands of dollars every year either. No, totally. And are you paying on top of that $30 that you'll have to pay Dreamweaver? Are you also paying hosting costs and things like that for your website as well, I'm assuming, right? Correct. So my advice is let's let's try and push through this. Let's find a, an answer to your question. Um, don't be afraid to pay that $30 when it comes up because it is the key to your website, but yes. don't sign up for 12 months because here's what I think. I don't think you should be paying $30 for Dreamweaver because I don't think you need Dreamweaver. I mm. think you should be migrating your website to one of these um, newer versions. Uh, the, the the big ones you'll hear talked about are Squarespace, uh, Wix, and, and WordPress. Now, EFTM.com runs on WordPress, um, it's a it's a back-end system that my wife even learnt real quick and easy to manage different um, websites. She, so my wife Matt, manages the, the website for our local baseball team, right? Just the club. Yeah. We put up a registration form every year. We put up some details. We, like, it's not like we run a score service on there or anything like that. But once you've, once you've learnt WordPress, um, there, there's no monthly fee other than the cost of hosting the website. So I'd be asking your host... Can you host WordPress? And if not, then find out whether or not you can migrate your current website to a to a new place where WordPress is available, and you'll find that you're probably going to save money overall. Yeah, I've got you. Okay. All right. So you leave it with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna forward your your concerns onto Adobe and ask the question. I really, honestly, can't give you any guarantees. It feels like we're probably pushing something uphill, but I think the bigger challenge for you is to move to a different platform that that means you don't need to pay that $30 a month. Yep, gotcha. All right. Thank you. All right, buddy, good luck, and I'll be in touch if I hear back from Adobe, all right? Thanks a lot. Good on you, Peter. And uh, it's a challenge, right, because the thing is that back in the day, Dreamweaver was this amazing tool. I remember when it came out. So I've been building websites since like 1996. And originally you'd build them hand code, open HTML, close, open uh, head, close. It, very complicated but really simple, in fact. And then Dreamweaver came out. It was this kind of graphical interface that allowed you to kind of draw and type in a program and then hit upload and it would just upload to your website and that, that's what it would look like. So you'd build the website on your computer and it would appear on the web once you'd pressed go. Nowadays, that's all in the cloud. And I hate using the word cloud because it scares people, but WordPress, Wix, 
you know, Squarespace, these services are built to literally build a website in minutes. Um, and it is so easy to do. GoDaddy is the king of it. You, you could you can register a domain name and, and set up a, a WordPress website on GoDaddy in 30 minutes. And and then it's just a matter of filling in the pages, finding a look that you like. It's, it's actually a fun process. And you can do it all kind of while your existing website exists. And then once it's ready, move it over. Hopefully that's what Peter can do. So... It uh, doesn't matter what it is. If uh, if it's that kind of challenging question, happy to help. Um, I genuinely don't think we're going to have a lot of luck with Adobe, but, hey, we will give it a red-hot go. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I've spent a lot more time tapping and going than ever before. But more important, I think I've noticed a lot more people uh, doing it with their smartphones, with their smartwatches, and... Uh, I think it's been the the shot in the arm that contactless payments, let alone digital wallets, has needed this uh, uh, weird circumstance we find ourselves in. And uh, one company that is absolutely leading the way in the world of digital payments and digital wallets is Samsung through their multiple devices that support Samsung Pay. And Mark Hodgson, the head of product and services at Samsung, is on the line. G'day, Mark. Hey, Trevor. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. So, I mean, it's it's not wrong to say that this has been an absolute acceleration of, of the take-up of digital wallets, is it? Are you seeing that on a on an obvious basis? Yes, I think we are. I mean, uh, most definitely. Look, I think when COVID first started, we, of course, saw a drop in payments, uh, like I think everybody did, uh, as the sort of uh, lockdown, first lockdown happened from about mid-March. Um, but then when that started to ease up, um, we saw a big acceleration into, into digital payments. So, uh, yes, I think, I think it's true to say that. So what, what are the things that Samsung's doing to kind of accelerate this, this area? I know that you've made some changes to the, the kind of the usage of, of Samsung Pay for the larger payments, which has, you know, obviously been one of the kind of, I guess, friction points, not for, not for the banks, but for the users is, uh, you know, I can only tap and go up to 100. I've got to put a password in at this point. So you're trying to make that process a whole lot easier. That's right. That's right. So, look, we've been tracking this for a while, but this was the perfect time to actually implement it, um, a, a solution called CDCVM, which uh, is a, as a long name, stands for Consumer Device Cardholder Verification Method. And basically what that does is, um, because on Samsung Pay, you're authenticating before you make any purchase anyway. It's one mm-hmm. of the security features of Samsung Pay. Uh, but using that authentication method, when you hit a um, high-value transaction, which is either over 100 or over $200, depending on the merchant uh, these days, um, you don't have to re-input that PIN into the PIN pad. Um, so it's a nice experience for the user. Look, you don't have to remember your PIN uh, when you do a, a high-value transaction in store. Uh, and you don't have to touch the terminal pad, which again these days is is a is a benefit as well. So, so let's just talk through that in in a bit more detail. I think most people are familiar with having a physical card and tapping eighty dollars and walking away, and then you move to the digital wallet on your phone, and you can just tap your phone uh, and walk away with just your face ID or fingerprint being the verification of the payment. But if you're buying you know, two weeks worth of groceries or, you know, a new part for the car. Um, where I went out to dinner the other night with, with uh, nine friends, you know, it was a table of 10, and guess who paid the bill and was hoping that everyone pays me back? Well, it was like 800 bucks, right? So I had to put in my pin. But using it, and I had that awkward moment of going, I hope this is going to work because I don't have my wallet with me, you know, I'm, I hope this digital thing works. But so you're saying that if that transaction had occurred on a Samsung device, um, because I have authenticated on the device, 
I don't need to put in my PIN number on the terminal. It just, it, it's verified. It's, it knows it's me. That's exactly right. So look, with Samsung Pay, you have to verify before every single payment and you verify in one, you know, in some different ways. You either put your PIN in uh, or you uh, biometrically, uh, biometrically authenticate with your fingerprint or your, your iris scan or whatever that yep. may be according to the device you use. So uh, in, you know, as of now, um, you can, you know, when you hit that high value transaction, instead of needing to put the PIN into the PIN pad, uh, you, it uses the authentication that you've already provided on your device as authentication uh, and sends that through to the pin pad. Um, the one caveat that I would say is that, look, you know, this does mean that your bank and the merchant needs to support that as well. So mm. you, you may find, you know, depending on who you're banking with um, or, or depending on the merchant and their kind of, you know, security comfort, I guess, um, you know, will we, we'll require you to put your pin in. But um, uh, that's uh, less and less likely as more issuers move towards, you know, supporting this type of solution. So this is now, now a situation where you basically are, are doing deals, negotiating, uh, verifying. Essentially, banks and, and card issuers want to know that this is a secure service and they need to do some validation of their own, I'm sure. But essentially, it's kind of like the rollout of Samsung Pay originally. More and more vendors will come on, more and more card issuers will come on to support this uh, as time goes on. Yeah, look, it's not really uh, so much to do with security. It's an individual issuer risk-based decision. And, and you know, certainly the, the larger issuers out there, uh, the big four banks are, are comfortable with supporting this. Um, and so, look, it doesn't make the system any less secure. In fact, you know, it is very secure, Samsung Pay, because you're having to authenticate before you make the payment in the first place. Uh, but look, you know, occasionally there may be banks out there that don't necessarily support, uh, but many of them do. So look, I guess the message is don't be surprised if when you um, are used to putting in a pin with a high value transaction that you no longer ask for a pin. That's perfectly normal. Yeah, uh, and I guess that's it'll exactly be a bit of a shock. system should work. It'll be a bit of well, shock it is, for somebody, look, you know, it is, and, and, and occasionally it is for merchants too. Um, they're expecting you to put a pin in and that, you know, they're not asking you for a pin or that the pin pad's not asking you for a pin. So that, it's an important point that don't be surprised when this happens because that's exactly how it's meant to work. It's meant to benefit you. You don't necessarily have to remember your pin and you certainly don't need to pitch, pitch the, uh, you know, touch the pin pad, which is, a, which is a, a, obviously a great benefit these days. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously been a... a uh, a rapid rise for digital wallets. Uh, you know what's next? Because I feel like we've we've reached this kind of mecca where you know you've got it on your Samsung Galaxy Watch, you've got it on your phone. Where do we go now? What are the next big stumbling blocks or, or friction points for digital payments? Because to me, it feels like we're at a point where we've just got to educate people now that it's that it's good, it's safe, it's uh, fast, it's usable. As I said, COVID kind of helped that process along, but we've still got a way to go. That's right. Look, in terms of adoption, we've st still got uh, a way to go. I think education is a big thing. Look, you know, these are, um, you know, very, very secure ways to use, uh, to manage your payments, given that the cards are tokenized, given that you know, on Samsung Pay, you have to authenticate before every transaction. This is a super easy way to to, uh, to manage your payments. But look, there's, there's, there's a lot more digitization that can happen on, on, on the payment cards or in, in all areas of the wallet, to be honest with you. I mean, looking at payment cards, 
you know, we're going to see a lot more virtual cards. So you apply for a card, you get the card immediately appearing in your app, for example. Or, or when a card's compromised and the bank rings you up and says, look, somebody overseas has just tried to use your card on an online purchase, they're just going to send you a new token straight away and you can continue to use that card rather than have to wait another five days for cards to, to, to turn up in the post. So, look, I think in the payments innovation side, there's still a lot that can come. But I think you're going to see more and more innovation around things like digital loyalty, um, digital gift cards. You know, the, the whole True, merchant yeah. loyalty offers promotions area is going to be a big area of innovation coming up. Because I feel like the, clearly, there was a bit of a hint towards that many, I'm talking years ago, when a couple of digital wallets first launched where, you know, it should know, shouldn't it, that, that I'm a Woolworth, I shouldn't have to be asked that I'm a Woolworth reward customer, I've got a flybys, it should just go, hey, this guy with this one tap is giving me not only the payment, but any loyalty, rewards, anything, it should all just happen with the presentation of your Samsung phone. That's right. And look, I think yeah, we're moving towards those types of solutions that are just going to make things easier for the customer um, or for our customers, should I say, easier for the merchant. Um, but you can also see other innovations in, in, in what you know, New South Wales services are doing, particularly their, their digital innovation is huge. The, what they're doing with, with, with government cards and driver's licenses and whatnot, mm. um, there's this whole move towards digitization in, in that sector and with you know, the open banking, which is essentially the banks opening themselves up to, to provide data to third-party providers um, you know, on, you know, with, a, with a customer consenting uh, for that to happen. And I think the convergence of all these areas of digitization is going to you know, continue to fuel the, the, uh, the rise of, of digital wallets. It's an exciting time. And as I said, you know, Samsung, with the range of products that you have in market, let alone the market share you have uh, across the devices, are an absolute leader in the, in the technology. And I guess it's really an exciting, it's an exciting part of the business to be part of. I mean, it's all well and good for Gary McGree to be excited about, you know, new devices every few <laughs> months, but you, you're, you're, you feel like you're a little bit more bleeding edge. You're, you're at, a, at, a, at a more bleeding edge of innovation at your end. Uh, well, look, I think it's I think it's exciting on both sides. Look, the hardware is 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 always continuing to innovate and super exciting with things like the Fold Phone coming out. I mean, that is that is truly an extraordinary bit of kit. Um, but look, the, on the digital side, it, it's it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly fast moving, and uh, you know, in another year, we'll be talking about a whole range of new innovations. I'm sure in market, um, which are going to continue to excite customers, make their lives easier. And uh, uh, and feel that rise of digital wallets. I feel like we've got a long way to go still, um, even though you know we've come a long way in the last few years. Book it in. Sounds like a plan. We'll talk in a year about all, uh, what's happened in uh, in twelve months. <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. Good to speak to you again. EFTM. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM podcast. EFTM.com, the place to go if you want to get in touch. Uh, just click Ask Trev. G'day, Greg. G'day, Trevor. How are you? Yeah, real good, mate. You're on the road. Where are you off to? Oh, mate, just just working at this this stage, yeah. Oh, well, that's better than uh, some people. So, mate, keep it up. Do your best. What can I do for you? Oh, mate, look, I just um, thought I'd get in contact with you just to find out whether um, there's a new update with the iPad um, that's coming out shortly. Um well, we can speculate. It, it, it'll be we'll, – I mean, we'll know this time tomorrow for sure. Um, the rumours are they're going to announce an Apple Watch and an iPad. The rumours are it could well be two iPads, a new iPad and a new iPad Air. 
which is annoying right. in terms of naming and stuff. But uh, my guess, my guess is they update the iPad Air with newer processor and stuff, and they update the iPad with a new design as per the iPad Pro, like no home button, square edges and stuff like that. So I'm not sure they'll both get the new design, but well, I could be wrong. What What do you got now, and what are you looking to do? Oh, look, I've got a I've got an old iPad Air 32 gig. However, the issue is, um, you know, with so many photos now and everything, it, it just doesn't have enough storage anymore. Yeah, right. Um, so um, I've been you know, looking at upgrading. However, you know, I'm looking online, I've sort of seen or sort of heard that it's going to have a new processor, um, the same as like the, the Pro's got and the Air's got. What are you doing um, with it, though? What are you doing with the iPad? Um, mainly it's just, you know, things like streaming, so Netflix and Stan and, and you know, just sort of keeping all my photos together and, and you know, videos and things. So. Mate, well, you don't need anything more than iPad Air. Like, oh, I know it's great that there can be a new processor, but pff, unless you're doing graphic design or, you know, really pumping out some games and apps in it, you know, streaming is is really not a processor-intensive thing. You know, you want a good screen, uh, you want a good size, um, you know, you want a good viewing angle. I mean, you know, if the current iPad Air, the 256 gig model, because obviously you want bigger capacity, is a thousand bucks, you know, spending more than a thousand bucks on an iPad to watch content on sounds like a lot of money. Like it just feels not crazy, but it feels like a really big expense. You know, the, the iPad is, I guess, there's a 128 gig version of that at, at 700 odd dollars. That's probably better value because you don't need the 256. It's a weird lineup of products they've got, really, isn't it? With iPad, iPad Air, and 128 yeah, on one, true. 256 well, look, on the other. Jeez. That's right. Well, look, that's what I was. That's what I was trying to go for because I've got the old 32 gig, and it's just, um, it's just not big enough anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I was thinking of is just because that's the Air. And I was thinking of just updating to to just the iPad, the 128 um, gig. Mate, right so, now, I, I would there's, – there's two frames of mind. One is, mate, forget – don't worry about it. what they're going to announce. Just go and buy the iPad um, uh, with 128 gig and enjoy it. It's 700 bucks. Uh, yep. But, you know, given that it's only 24 hours away, wait till tomorrow – See if it's outrageously better the what they update in terms of the eighth generation standard iPad, um, yep. but price wise it's not going to be any cheaper. But what you might find is that the this seventh generation iPad that's on sale today, you might find at Office Works and places like that, you know, slightly ever so slightly cheaper, but it won't be discounted. So mate, just hold off twenty four hours and you'll make your decision tomorrow. But personally, I, I don't think you need the two fifty six. You want to go higher than than thirty two. Whichever one has a 128 gig capacity and is the cheapest, buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the processor on that one isn't as good as the processor on the other one that's only got 256, I don't think you notice, mate. No. For what you're doing. All right. Well, look, um, that sort of that narrows it down, and that sort of gives me enough information to uh, to make my mind up when we find out a little bit more tomorrow. Happy shopping, buddy. All right, terrific. Thanks very much, Trevor. Appreciate Good man. it. And if you've got a question like Greg, just get in touch anytime you like. And, of course, all the news on Apple's announcements uh, will be at EFTM.com. I feel like there was something I wanted to have a rant about, but I don't know what it was. So I'll leave it.
okay, just everyone breathe. We'll leave the rant for another time. Um, and we'll just continue on. This is the EFTM Podcast. Trevor along with you, and it's been great having your company. Hopefully very informative um, this week, maybe more so than other weeks. I don't know. You let me know. A lot's going on this week. There's some cool stuff coming from Nissan up at EFTM.com this week. Um, for those that love the Nissan Z series, this is the week to be checking EFTM.com. And, of course, all the Apple news tomorrow um, from, uh, from Cupertino, but virtually here in Sydney. Uh, at EFTM.com and I'll be on the Today Show in the morning with all that action as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We'll talk to you again next week here on EFTM. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast.